Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. GiveDirectly is a nonprofit that lets you send money directly to people living in extreme poverty. And it's now raising crypto funds to support a basic income program in Liberia. Just $333 will fund a year of basic income for a recipient. This panel I moderated, which you'll hear in this episode, helped raise over $900,000, which will support 27 villages with a basic income for a year. To try to get to $1 million, I'm working with them to offer a special match for Unchained listeners. When you donate any cryptocurrency to give directly this month, it will be matched, which means doubled. There are $50,000 in matching funds. So if we use the whole match, that's $50,000 times two, plus the $900,000 from the event, equaling $1 million in crypto, supporting a basic income for thousands of households in Liberia next year. Visit givedirectly.org slash unchained and your crypto gift will be doubled. Again, that's givedirectly.org slash unchained. And now on to the show. The Nodal Cash app makes earning crypto on your smartphone as easy as turning on your Bluetooth. Nodal Cash is private, secure, and available on iOS and Android. Visit nodal.io slash unchained. That's N-O-D-L-E dot I-O slash unchained to start earning Nodal Cash. Buy, earn, and spend crypto on the Crypto.com app. New users can enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in the first 30 days. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Brave Wallet is the first secure wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser with no extension required. You can store, manage, and grow your crypto portfolio all from a safer wallet. Visit brave.com slash unchained to get started. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. And I would like to introduce Haseem Qureshi, managing partner at Dragonfly Capital, and Caroline, who is co-CEO at Alameda Research, and Arthur Brightman of Tezos. Haseem, I guess you could maybe give your views on effective altruism? Yeah. Um, so I, I do consider myself an effective altruist, which makes uh, less, maybe a less interesting answer. Um, why do I consider myself an effective altruist? So effective altruism is kind of a bundle of ideas, but the, the core of the idea is basically the notion that we should try to think scientifically and rigorously about how to do the most good. And um, it, it kind of points to the fact that a lot of people, when they think about doing good, whether it's doing charity or trying to be uh, impactful in, in your, sort of your personal life or your, your community engagement, uh, most people kind of, they approach it in just sort of doing things that feel right or that feel good to them. And effective altruism is, is a, a sort of framework of thinking about, um, sure, it's good to do good things, but um, you should try to apply the same level of importance that you apply to things like, you know, to business or to technology or to 
you know, the things that we think are really important, we should take the same standard of care toward thinking and making sure we do things right when we're trying to do the most good. That's effective altruism in a nutshell. And I think to me, as you know, somebody who spends a lot of my time working on uh, really difficult challenges, um, I think helping the world and, and improving the world is one of the most important things that we do. And therefore, it should require the highest level of uh, thoughtfulness and rigor around making sure that we do as much good as we can when we're trying to accomplish that. And Caroline, do you have an opinion on this? Um, yeah, totally agree with everything Hasib said. Yeah, I guess I've been kind of involved in effective altruism for a while. I think I first found out about it in like freshman year of college. And I was kind of like, oh, well, yes, of course, like this all makes total sense that you should, you know, be thinking about costs and benefits and, you know, adding it all up and trying to maximize your impact uh, when you're, you know, doing philanthropy, uh, just like anything else. Uh, and yeah, I think over time, I've kind of only been become more convinced for the most part that the effective altruism movement is kind of like onto something good. Uh, and we're definitely still like figuring a lot of stuff out. And, and I feel quite uncertain about a lot of things. Uh, but I think like it's, you know, goals and intentions are uh, overall quite admirable. Arthur. Philanthropy, wonderful thing. And a charity will give you like helping the less fortunate, wonderful thing. And obviously, if you're going to do it, you don't want to be ineffective. So, you know, in some sense, you know, you say effective altruism, it's almost, you know, unimpeachable. Um, but, you know, if you go in detail, I think the movement is very, very tied to a uh, view of, uh, of ethics. And I think I would uh, reject utilitarianism as, the, uh, uh, as an ethics framework. I think that, you know, eventually you cannot um, ground ethics in anything else but human in, in intuition. You know, there's no, um, you, you can't derive ethics from reason. And so ultimately, the best thing you can do is get some sort of logic closure over human uh, ethical intuitions. And I think that the ontology is a, is a better match than, uh, um, than utilitarian ethics. So I, I do think that you can be cognitive about it, but I would say there's a tinge of scientism uh, when, when you try to uh, compute uh, DLY and everything and, uh, and, and try to compare things, which I think are a bit uh, incommensurable. I'm being pedantic here. I think, you know, overall, they're very well aligned with the, uh, with your overall goals. You know, saving lives is a wonderful thing. And this is, you know, this is more of a full disclosure in the sense of like, okay, this is how I'm thinking about this. I'm not, I'm not fully on board with the whole uh, uh, quality DALI program, all of that. But, you know, uh, I, I think these are admirable goals overall in general. Okay. And actually, um, before we continue, because it looks like Hasib wants to maybe rebut or something. Oh, no, <laughs> I no, just... no. I, I... So I, I think. Uh, well, first of all, I I, I don't think that. Well, this wait, panel but Hasib, before you yeah. before you do that, Arthur, can you just define deontology? Because like you just threw out a bunch of big words, but I don't know if everybody even knows what they all are. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you could in broad strokes, you could look at three uh, three different principles of ethics. Um, uh, utilitarianism essentially tries to say, let's do the most good for everyone. You know. Uh, Pain and suffering are bad things. We want people to be happy. So whatever action you can take that make most people happiest is, is, is a good one. The ontology is more, there's a list of things that you can do which are intrinsically good or intrinsically bad. And primarily, you should not be doing bad things, like hurting people. So even if, for example, hurting people could uh, you know, eventually cause a lot of happiness, you should not be going out and you know, hurting people. Uh, and virtue ethics is now what makes you a good person is more about uh, intrinsic virtue. Um, um, it, it might be your intentions, how you're thinking, how you, be, uh, how you behave, 
not directly your actions and not directly their consequence. Um, there are many other um, sources of ethics that exist, but these are the broad, uh, uh, these are the main broad ones, I would say. And, and definitely there's a utilitarian bend to uh, effective altruism. Uh, I would say a lot of people recognize themselves more in deontology or probably in some mix um, between the two, depending on the situation and depending on context. And I think it's, I, I think it's okay. I, I think it's okay that our view of ethics might, might, might have some internal conflict. It's something that we've evolved. It's not, it's not a, it's not a truth of, you know, ethics is not a truth of the universe that we go out and, and discover. It's something that's intimately tied to human nature. And so, you know, to that respect, I, I would reject what uh, Peter Singer is saying when saying like, oh, yeah, you know, we reached a conclusion that everyone is doing something bad at all times. If you're doing that, then, you know, that converts to what? You know, in some sense, you have to ground ethics in something. And that thing is human nature and not, not some external objective reality. Hmm. Okay, Hesse. Yeah, so I'm I'm a little loath to turn this into a debate on the philosophy of ethics because I think that you know this is a this is ultimately a crypto giving panel. But I guess what I'd say as a kind of somewhat mild defense of effective altruism is I think you know crypto is actually probably the perfect place to encapsulate the difference between utilitarianism and deontology because so just just to just to rearticulate right like utilitarianism is the idea is that you know as long as you get the right outcome um, then it's all good. Right. Whatever you do, just get the right outcome. And that's really what matters. And um, deontology says there's some things you should never do, even if it gets the right outcome. Right. Like even if it makes everybody better off, don't do this because it's wrong in some just deeper fundamental sense. And, um, you know, crypto is exactly the place where the way that we look at everything in crypto is through the lens of game theory. Right. We look at the incentives and we say, look, we don't say there are good incentives and bad incentives. And this kind of incentive is evil and this kind of incentive is virtuous. And that's why you should only give these ones. We say, look, the important thing is we want the protocol to be secure. We want miners to do the right thing. We want people not to get hacked. We want to create this like global property system. And, uh, it, you know, when, when you're, if you're looking at that lens and that comports with the way that you think the world ought to be, the way that people design these crypto ecosystems is really kind of this utilitarian kind of effective altruist sort of mindset, which is let's design a system that improves the outcome for the most people. And, uh, in that way, I think for a lot of people in crypto, certainly not everybody, but for a lot of people in crypto, this, you know, utilitarian approach to thinking about what creates the best possible world uh, really resonates because it resonates with the way that crypto designers create these economic systems. And of course, if you look in the regular world, nobody designs economic systems the way that crypto designers do, right? There is no top-down view where we write a white paper where we like show, you know, we write these math proofs that show how we're maximizing utility for every party. Like the real world is full of deontology. Right. The real world is like, no, 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 you never do this. You have to give subsidies to farmers. You have to like make sure that you have a, you know, a childcare subsidy and blah, blah, blah. And it ends up being this big distorted mess of incentives that maybe get it right, but like most of the time don't. And, um, it's kind of like, I mean, I think like COVID is a good example where a lot of deontology stuff just goes out the window because you're like, look, we, we're about to die. There's a pandemic coming. We got to lock things down. We, we prevent you from leaving your house. We're going to force you to go get a vaccine. You know, you're not allowed to work. It, it, I think um, the last couple of years and living in crypto, I think is a good way to test your intuitions of which of those two sides you tend to fall on, whether you're more utilitarian or more deontological. And I think, you know, Caroline and I are definitely more on the utilitarian side, Arthur much more on the, on the deontological side. But uh, again, we could, we could go, this is the oldest debate in ethical history. So we're probably not going to resolve it on, on this zoom panel. 
Well, but I, I love how you related it to how, yeah, crypto networks, you know, the, like they only function well if the game theory has been designed right, right? So to that end, I mean, like if, so obviously we do already have some crypto organizations that are trying to do philanthropic things like BitGive or Give Crypto. And so what do you think would be the best way to kind of like design these for, you know, whatever your uh, desired outcome would be? And Caroline or, or Hasib or Arthur, any of you can answer this. Well, so Give Directly is a great example of this, right? It's actually, it's actually um, a really elegant sort of economic expression of how to make giving better. So before Give Directly, most, uh, there was always a perception that if you just give money to poor people, they'll go spend it on dumb things, right? They'll go spend it on booze or just, you know, random crap. And like, they're, they, they don't know what's good for them. And so that's why the charities that traditionally did the most work in very poor countries would be like, great, here, we're a chicken charity and we're going to give them chickens and they'll grow the chickens and it's going to be great. And the idea is like, look, we will we'll buy you books or we'll give you clean water or we'll, we'll find some specific thing and we'll create this really complicated supply chain to get it to you, right? And um, you know, generally speaking, people from first world countries love these kinds of charities because it's easy to imagine like, look, I, if I just give them money, who knows what they'll spend it on? But if I give them books, you know, I, they'll, they'll read, they'll get educated. Like, that's wonderful, right? And so they send them tons and tons of books. And, um, you know, as was mentioned in the previous panel, a lot of times what happens with these charities is that one, they're very expensive to administrate. And there's, you know, there's just a lot of costs that gets lost in the middle. But also the, you know, a lot of times what happens is that people get the books or the chickens or the whatever, and they go sell them because they don't need chickens. They don't need books. They need like this other thing that only they know they need. And it, it, you know, there's this, there's this classic economic argument of why gifts are very inefficient and instead you should just give cash and give directly is the, it's the, it's the charity instantiation of that argument. It's like, look, we, let's assume that people are rational actors, which, you know, welcome to crypto, right? Assume that people are rational actors and they know what's good for them. They, they understand their situation better than you do. And if they have a bunch of money, they're going to go spend it on the thing they actually need, whether it's like their roof is leaky or, you know, their kids are sick or, you know, some other thing that they, or, you know, they'll just go spend it on food. And it's very difficult for us to anticipate that. But the people who actually are in need know exactly what they need. And so you should just give them money and they'll figure it out. And that's precisely what Give Directly does and has demonstrated through their own randomized control trials that uh, they end up having more positive impact per dollar uh, transfer than the other comparable charities that might just give people medicine or clothes or books without actually knowing what they in particular need. And wait, but also what about, I'm curious about give crypto because that one is obviously different. They're giving crypto and I, you know, of course, hopefully this is not um, too negative of a question, but my obvious question is the people on the ground there, what if they can't turn it into their local currency or otherwise use it, you know, then what good does it do? So um, you know, and, and I'm not going to pretend to be some expert on give crypto. So maybe they have some way to make sure that it is useful to people. But is, is that kind of like, 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 is it, is the best way to effectively use crypto in philanthropy to just adopt the give directly model, but do it for crypto? Someone else want to take that? Uh, yeah, I guess I don't, I could say, say something though. I don't know a ton about give crypto. Uh, so I can't really speak to their model. Uh, in particular. Yeah, I mean, I think like, yeah, I'm not really sure in practice kind of how useful it is to give crypto to people in developing countries. Uh, I think that like we have seen like 
I guess you could say, give directly that direct cash transfers are a great way to help the global poor. Yeah, I also think that sort of crypto is potentially a, an exciting way to sort of democratize finance and to uh, kind of, yeah, basically make it easier, remove a lot of the frictions that people experience with, I don't know, banking systems, with, yeah, countries, with potentially repressive regimes, uh, stuff like that, and kind of just, yeah, put people in charge of their own money. Um, so, yeah, I don't really know how useful it is right now to give people crypto, but I can see it as kind of a potentially useful thing someday, at least. <laughs> yeah, I would say the, the, the potential of crypto to transforms um, things here it, it, it is mostly more in terms of like, bringing cheaper transfers or bringing um, uh, cheaper access to financial infrastructure overall. But, you know, that's something that has yet to uh, to happen or to continue happening. And so if, you know, if the matter is is making it direct gifts, then, you know, if you expect a pers- if you expect that once a person receives, you know, cryptos are going to start converting it to fiat to pay for whatever they need, then you might as well send cash directly. You know, it's not, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing magic in, uh, in, in sending it in crypto versus any other uh, form of payment. Uh, to 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 add to what Asi was saying about um, giving directly, I, I like to compare it with basically it's the index fund strategies of you know of, of of charity. You know, you could try to pick stocks and do all sorts of trade, and you're going to end up paying a ton of commission. And a lot of people like doing this because they feel that they're, that they're doing something and they're optimizing and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, having low fee and just going straight to the point uh, is a lot more effective. Uh, and this is the same thing. You know, it just um, cuts out a lot of the. Uh, uh, impression of like doing some, you know, like really doing, you know, the oh, you know, if only we do that and this and that. But at the end of the day, uh, it's 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 a lot more direct and and a lot more effective than almost every other intervention. And Hasib, did you you said earlier you had some thoughts too on that question? No, I mean I I agree with it, and I think it's a it's a, it's a good example of the effective altruist approach in action. But in general, you know, I think the question of giving crypto versus giving dollars. My understanding, I'm not super familiar with give crypto, but my understanding is that within give crypto, they, they, they run these uh, trials within like an entire village. And uh, in that village, there are some money changers or basically people who can facilitate the transfer of uh, crypto into the local currency. Uh, but I'm, I, I'm not an expert, so I, I can't speak to it any more than that. I think the idea is that it lowers some of the infrastructure costs to do these transfers directly in crypto. And of course, you know, there's just a lot of people with a lot of money in crypto who can send money. Yes, as we are seeing now in the whole NFT craze. That's right. <laughs> um, so there is a question from YouTube that uh, is probably relevant here to this give crypto discussion, um, whether whether we're talking about the charity or or just anybody who's giving crypto directly. Is there a blockchain that seems best set up for cross border transfers, particularly to poor countries? And that is from Alexander Wannell. Do you guys have an opinion on that? Uh, I guess, yeah, I don't know anything about uh, sort of something that would make that particularly the case. Uh, I would imagine probably just blockchains that are generally better, like faster and cheaper <laughs> would be better for this as well. I would say yeah. it's less function of the technology of the blockchain as it is a function of um, um, liquidity in the local market. Yeah, I was going to say since Bitcoin is the most liquid, it would probably need, but well, I guess maybe Ether is a close second. Um, but both of those chains have, you know, um, a lot of tra- high transaction fees at the moment. So probably for Bitcoin, Lightning, and then for Ether, one of the 
Oh shoot, I was going to say one of the layer twos, but but that that opens a whole nother can of worms too. So yeah, I don't know if anybody has another suggestion for something that's kind of like liquid, but also less expensive. Apparently in the Philippines, if you play um, Axie Infinity, you can actually turn Smooth Love Potion directly into Philippine pesos, I have heard now. So that's super interesting. Um, One other question that I wanted to ask you was, I mean, so this is like slightly parallel maybe to the philanthropic question, but crypto has long touted its ability to democratize finance. And I wondered if there are any ways that you're seeing that crypto is already having the kind of positive impact that philanthropy typically aims for. Like, are there any particular uh, crypto projects that you feel are having the kind of real world impact that typically like charities are are trying to accomplish? I, I mean, I would raise my hand and say Axie Infinity is probably the most obvious in that um, it's kind of like a giant give directly for the Philippines, where essentially it's this giant transfer from speculators to, you know, poor Filipino people who are, who are playing the game, which I, I, you know, I've heard at least, I mean, I think it's gone down recently, but that, you know, the average uh, Filipino who's playing Axie Infinity is making twice their average wage, which I think is is actually quite quite high for a direct transfer program. So it's it's it seems it seems really good. Um, but I've heard that the, that those numbers are going down a lot because the inflation for SLP has kind of hurt the uh, the, the the economics of later. Yeah, Nidus says this is not a sustainable. This is not a sustainable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, as, no, as long as people are donating, it's sustainable. Yeah. There's no values that's being brought to the other player by the, by the presence of like these, you know, it's, it's just like gold farming with, with crypto. So it doesn't really bring value to the other players. So at the end of the day, I think, you know, in, in a transition, you know, in a transition period, these kind of transfers can happen, but then they get out completed away. So, you know, it's like, okay, this is great for the like Filipino players who need this for, for, for a while, but when I hear, oh, it's a new paradigm, like, ah, no, it's really not. Uh, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of innovations that happen in, uh, in, in, in crypto from a technological standpoint. Uh, even new financial uh, primitives have been uh, uh, invented, like perpetual uh, contracts, for example. That's an innovation in the crypto space. But it is not like changing economics. Uh, that's, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bit beef. So it's not going to uh, magically alleviate poverty because people are going to play uh, uh, are going to farm gold in a, uh, in a video game. And is there a way to kind of keep that from happening where it's sort of, you know, the benefit just peters out and it only ends up accruing to a small number right at the start? You have to look if, you know, are, when they're playing the game, are they making the game experience more fun for other people? You know, it's like when I engage with a game, you know, do I engage with other characters who, for example, maybe play by people in different countries, in which case, you know, if they're bringing real value for the other players, like making the game experience more enjoyable, then sure, then maybe you have something sustainable. But otherwise, you are just talking about a transfer from early adopters to, to, uh, to, from late adopters to early adopters, in which case it's, it's completely zero sum. And so, you know, no, that's not going to be uh, uh, sustainable. If you want something sustainable, you have to bring value in, in, in a sense of like the, the, those players are making the game more engaging more fun for other people, which which is not what's happening here. So Axie Infinity is just one of like, you know, a ton of crypto things that are happening in general. And, and it's kind of like you could sort of say it's new. I guess it, it took off 
kind of about a year and a half ago. But are there any other um, crypto projects that you feel are accomplishing the types of things that philanthropy tries to typically accomplish? Well, I'd say one of the things that we see a lot in crypto is the attempt to fund public goods. Because of course, crypto, um, you know, traditionally the way that public goods are funded is through the government. Because the whole point of calling something a public good is that it's for the public, meaning that, you know, no individual private actor takes on most of the benefit from a public good. So it's very hard to have these be provided by just people doing their own thing in the marketplace. And of course, crypto doesn't have governments. It has, I mean, it has sort of has DAOs and foundations, which sort of are like pseudo governments. And as a result, there, there has been a lot of experimentation among these DAOs and foundations and organizations or even more informal organizations than that to try to solve for the problem of how do we solve public goods? Now, most of these are constrained to the public goods within a particular ecosystem. And of course, like most of the people who are in the global poor, who have the most need for help around the world, they're not hanging around on blockchains right now. And so we're, you know, you're not, you're not going to find them on, uh, you know, on Bitcoin or on Tezos or on, you know, any of these platforms. Um, and so it's probably the wrong place to look for them right now in the same way, you know, like you think of the early internet, eventually everybody found their way to the internet and found it really valuable. And like almost, you know, they're, they're what, four or 5 billion people now who are online. So tons and tons of people in the world, including the global poor use the internet, but it took a while for them to get on. And I think you, you'll probably see the same trajectory for crypto looking to the early adopters for crypto as a place to try to, you know, engage in, in philanthropy, especially if you're treating the global poor, that's not the only form of philanthropy. You're, you know, it's not, it's not the right place to, to go looking for them. Web3 means freedom from big tech and Wall Street with more controls and better privacy. But your crypto wallet is a weak point. Most wallets are browser extensions, a Web2 technology. That means the same old risks, app spoofing, phishing scams, and theft. Brave Wallet is different. Brave Wallet is the first secure wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser with no extension required. With Brave Wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap assets, manage your portfolio, and NFTs. You can see real-time CoinGecko data built right into your dashboard and connect other wallets and other Web3 dApps, all from the security of the most popular privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to ditch those risky extensions and switch to Brave Wallet. Get started at brave.com slash unchained. Join over 10 million people using Crypto.com, the easiest place to buy, earn, and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies. New users enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in their first 30 days. With Crypto.com Earn, you can get industry-leading interest rates of up to 8.5% on over 40 coins, including Bitcoin, and earn up to 14% on stablecoins. With the Crypto.com Visa card, you can spend your crypto anywhere. Enjoy up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions, and zero annual fees. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. With Nodal Cash, you can earn crypto on your mobile device for free with no hardware to purchase. You just download the Nodal Cash app, turn on your Bluetooth, and start earning. Nodal Cash is private, secure, and easy to earn, whether you're on the go, stuck in traffic, or even while you're sleeping. You can even repurpose your old smartphones to earn Nodal Cash. 
Visit nodal.io slash unchained to get started. That's N-O-D-L-E dot I-O slash unchained. Join the Citizen Network to earn crypto on your smartphone 24-7. All right. Well, so here we are at this moment in time where, as we all know, uh, crypto has changed the fortunes of kind of a new generation of people. Um, you know, there's a lot of youngsters out there who suddenly find themselves incredibly wealthy uh, from whatever it might be, selling NFTs or uh, or it can be older people who, you know, got in on uh, Ethereum or Bitcoin in the early days, whatever it might be. A lot of these people, I think, are trying to think about how to give back. Um, you guys might remember back in 2017, we had that anonymous... Bitcoin person who donated $86 million, which they called the Pineapple Fund. How should people be thinking, people in crypto be thinking about how best to donate their money? Are there like particular frameworks that you think are useful? And obviously there are certain considerations like taxes and stuff that probably come into play here. Yeah, I can respond, I guess. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really hard question. Uh, And it's something I've spend a lot of time thinking about and still feel very uncertain about and plan to spend a lot more time. I mean, I think like one sort of question is, I guess, donating now versus later is a big uh, one um, where there's kind of the options of donating now or like investing and donating later. And that's kind of, I think there's like, yeah, to answer that, you have to sort of think about what sort of return on capital you're getting from your investments at the moment and what sort of returns you might expect to be getting from charities uh, and you know how how uncertain you are about charity, and how much you think you might change your mind about what the best charities are in the future. Yeah, and in terms of actually sort of thinking about places to donate, I think like it has to start largely with like thinking about what you value, and like you know, do I value you know reducing the suffering of people, or I don't know, empowering people, or you know people, you know, in our country or other countries or animals, people in the future, uh, kind of, yeah, think about what's most important to you and all that. Uh, and then I think like there are various kind of organizations and people who have like done a lot of looking into charities, uh, and trying to like determine their effectiveness. I think like Keith Wells is like really good kind of charity evaluator for looking at sort of global health and global poverty interventions. I think a lot of like people in effective altruism, like Center for Effective Altruism, have kind of like more sort of broad recommendations as well. The, the one thing that I would say, which I think maybe is not um, just a, a you know complete recapitulation of Caroline's point, is that um, I, I do think that you should have a very strong bias toward giving now as opposed to giving later. I think a lot of people have this belief that, um, okay, I'm going to kind of go Bill Gates style I'm going to like make a bunch of money. And then, you know, at some point in the future, I'll know that I've made enough money, which for a lot of people in crypto is, you know, it's like, there's never enough money, but you know, I think they imagine when they started their trip, I'm like, Oh, I'll just make a couple million and that'll be enough. And then I'll, you know, I'll be happy. So the one, one thing that I think probably um, all of us who've been in the space, um, you know, I think the three of us in this panel have been very fortunate that we've, we've done very well in crypto. And we know a lot of people who've done extremely well in crypto. And, um, the one thing that's really obvious is that there is no special amount of money that's going to make you happy. Um, happiness is just totally orthogonal from how much money you make. And when, and when you realize that, um, you, the other thing you realize is that uh, what you do, especially with respect to giving, 
uh, also changes who you are. It, it, it really does affect over the next five to 10 years of your life. If you try to go, I'll call it Bill Gates style of, okay, I'm going to make as much money as I possibly can. And then when I'm, you know, 55 and, you know, I need to repair my reputation, then I'll go start, you know, giving it all away. And um, I think it, it, it's, it's sort of much better for the person who you become in the process of that for you to give along the way, because it, I think it's a little bit of a fallacy to think that um, even if when you are just kind of young and bright eyed and, and kind of at the, at the, you know, early stages of your career, um, if you believe like, yeah, yeah, when I make all this money, I'm going to go give it away. I'm going to be this awesome person, but not right now. There's a good chance that by the time you make all that money, you're not going to be that awesome person anymore. And that's why I think it is actually really important just to kind of um, maintain your own uh, virtue as a human being to, to give along the way, even if it's not, you know, crazy, you know, 50% or, or some, you know, huge amount of money. Um, but just keep giving along the way and keep thinking actively about how to make your life about something bigger than just yourself. The way I would approach it is that I, I would say, don't give out of a sense of duty. Um, give because there's change you want to see uh, in the world. And, you know, hopefully it's positive change. And think about, you know, what is the change you want to see in the world and how can you best enact it with giving? And, you know, what, one of the points I was making in the earlier panel, very quickly you reach a level where your lifestyle is not going to change that much with, uh, with more money. And so there's been a positive change, I would say, in the world, which is that uh, a, a lot of um, uh, Western people used to buy these um, silly positional goods, like, you know, buying a large yet and so on and so forth. And in some sense, philanthropy has become... I mean, it started in the 19th century, but more and more and more, it has become a positional good that people spend on. And it's more about, you know, it's about self-actualization. It's about saying like, okay, this is the change I'm going to make. I'm going to eradicate this disease or, you know, I'm going to make sure that people don't go hungry or, you know, this is a change I want to make. And I would say that's a, um, I would, I, I, I would recommend approaching it through this, um, through this lens rather than a lens of saying like, what is my duty? What do I have to do? I think it's a health I think it's a healthier attitude, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it might lead you in the same direction anyway. All right. So we only have a few minutes left. I'm going to ask one question that actually came through in the suggestions that were pre-submitted. And I, I think I tweaked this to, to have my own take, but somebody asked how NGOs and DAOs could work together, which I thought was interesting. But then it had me thinking, I wonder if NGOs kind of maybe are like the sort of intermediary that crypto is trying to eliminate. So, you know, how would you figure out if an NGO kind of is like part of a bureaucratic problem or if, you know, they're actually maybe the on the ground experts who know better what to do with the money than, than a crypto person might. So I'm curious, you know, how you think of that. Well, I think, I think Spence of Monopoly, I'll go ahead and uh, <laughs> give my, my thoughts here is that, I think asking the question of like, you know, are NGOs good and do they belong in the future vision of the world where DAOs are a huge thing is almost like asking like, do companies belong? Which like NGOs are just such a broad category. Like there's so, there's so many different kinds of NGOs and some of them are boring intermediaries who just kind of get in the way and others of them are fantastic and they, they do the on the ground, on the ground work and they are the sort of last mile, which a DAO almost by definition cannot be because DAOs are not physical. They're not physically located anywhere, or you know, at least so far. So I think, you know, if anything, it, it seems like there's a natural cooperation that can happen between DAOs and uh, DAOs as a way of, of uh, sort of digital coordination of human beings and, and of capital 
Whereas NGOs, I think at their best, are ways to uh, sort of tap into local knowledge and know-how and build local infrastructure in a way that requires you to be local, right? Like NGOs, almost by definition, are in a certain place. Uh, they're a or- non-governmental organization in a certain country, not associated with that government. Um, and some of them are great and some of them are awful. Uh, same as DAOs. There's some awful DAOs and some great ones. I, I do think, you know, hopefully we see uh, fewer or, or, or leaner organizations involved, uh, you know, to the point that Hesse was making uh, earlier. At the end of the day, uh, a lot of people know best what they need. And, uh, you know, if you give them cash and they know how to use it, then sure, you might still, you know, have some sort of organization involved and it might be an NGO on the last mile to distribute it. But I would say the amount of managerial overhead or discretion that's that's involved in this in these organizations can be uh, a lot smaller than it is today okay so we're going to close out we have one minute so try to think of something quickly off the top of your head but this question came in from youtube from james hartley he asks for people working in the crypto industry looking to move into a more impactful slash altruistic role or company what advice or opportunities or projects would you share so looking for, you know, like one word to one sentence answers. Go, go work for FTX. <laughs> yeah, Caroline? very great answer. Yep. <laughs> or come, come work for Alameda. Arthur? There's two ways you can do it. And again, I'm, I'm going to use some, some media terminology here. You know, you can earn to give. So try to get a very high paying job and give a bunch of money. And for some people, that might be the most effective thing to do. But if you directly, you know, through your work, want to enact change, there are a million better things you can do than work in crypto. I, you know, and I love and I love crypto and I love this industry and everything about it. But you know, you'll have more. You know, you'll, you'll save more life. You, you, you'll save more lives working on. You know, I don't know better ways of fixing nitrogen to plants. Uh, you know, the, the the impact or or even self driving cars. Like the impact is just is it, is just a, a lot more massive. And I see this. You know, thinking that there's so much problem. But like going to work for a crypto exchange is not. Is not it? I'm I'm so I'm sorry. With all with all respect and love for FTX, it's just <laughs> no. I I had a feeling Arthur was going to go in that direction. I, so I'm not a panelist, but I will say uh, I did mention a couple of the groups that are working in this area that give and give crypto. There are others um, that are more uh, like kind of uh, focused in one area. I featured some of them on my show, like. Um, Code to Inspire, uh, founded by Fareshda Furo. Uh, they do coding academies for girls in Afghanistan and they accept crypto and uh, teach uh, their students to code solidity and things like that. So you can check them out. Yeah, I, I'm blanking on some of the names of the other ones that have been on my show, but um, you can actually just maybe scroll through unchainedpodcast.com and kind of try to see what are some of the more on the ground type organizations that are working. Otherwise, this has been a super fun panel. Um, You know, it's like a really important topic, but I'm glad that we were also able to have a bit of spicy takes (laughs) on both sides. (laughs) So thank you so much to all of you panelists. 